One of the world's first advisor communities started in a coffee shop near Lloyd's of London. They shared ideas, talked about how to write more profitable business and looked for new opportunities. My guest today started Panacea Advisor, which he describes as the modern online equivalent of that first financial coffee shop. In this episode, you can hear how Panacea Advisor was born and the thriving and helpful community that's developed since and the tools that are available to help advisors grow their own businesses. That's right here in episode six of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at www.rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and he's Derek Bradley, the founder and CEO of Panacea Advisor. After an early career at Lloyd's of London, he went on to learn about the importance of customer service working for BOAC, the forerunner to British Airways, something further reinforced during his time as a broker consultant at Scottish Equitable. Derek then went on to set up his own successful IFA business, which he ran for 18 years before selling it in late 2006. Derek then spotted an altruistic opportunity to provide a better service to directly authorised IFAs. And in 2007, Panacea was born. So, Derek, welcome to the Empath podcast. How are you? I'm uh, pretty good. Thanks, Roger. Before we get into our main discussion, what I'd like to do is to start off by finding out a little bit more about you, Derek. So tell everybody a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you and find out what makes you tick. Okay, well, uh, as you uh, uh, very kindly uh, put out in the, the sort of mini bio at the start, start of this, uh, this piece, I've sort of had a number of years in, in this industry and uh, uh, also worked for a number of years in hospitality, although that may be open to some uh, dispute uh, these days. Basically, I've, in, I've in enjoyed a career in financial services, uh, perhaps in latter years, as more and more regulation has come on, it perhaps hasn't been quite so enjoyable. But I think uh, what I have uh, discovered over the years is that starting off things that's a bit of new uh, present challenges, but they're also exciting, and if you get them right, they can be pretty rewarding. Yeah, it's been a theme that's come up in the podcast with many of my guests, is this whole subject of regulation and how it perhaps creates opportunities on the one hand, but ha- perhaps stifles opportunities and innovation on the other and perhaps we'll we'll come back to that so let's move on to today's main discussion and this is where we talk about a business model or a new product launch or a new marketing campaign or simply a hot news story and today we're going to be talking about the panacea business model derek in in terms of uh, uh, where we are today this all, all, all started after my business had got uh, bought now bought out this is my uh, advisor business and i was kicking my heels uh, 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 somewhat because despite the uh, idyll of having absolutely nothing to do there's only so many beaches you can walk up and down before <laughs> you start to lose your mind a little bit and uh, i had the very good fortune that i was asked uh, by some people i knew if i wanted to do some consultancy work for them which put me in touch with around about a hundred or so uh, smaller uh, directly regulated IFAs within 
uh, my local area, which is in the Thames Valley. And the one thing that really struck me in the sort of six months that I, I had been idle was how much things had changed within the industry, and particularly with regards to the support that smaller DA firms were getting from providers. The issues, as we are uh, well aware, of, and, and you, know, you probably more than more than most from your sort of distribution background, will be that uh, servicing of uh, financial advisors, which is a, a, a was a vital part of provider um, work relationships, uh, has had, had changed because the cost of doing so was just so much, and uh, the work cheaper options, if you like, to be able to focus uh, marketing activity and servicing activity at, and, and that was namely networks and nationals. But it, but it really became clear to me that the there was a massive detachment between provider firms and the smaller DA firms. And the reason that nobody had really done anything about it up until that time is that providers, from my experience, notoriously difficult at, at finding ways to work with each other. Uh, what I did was to do, obviously, a, a good amount of research, as most people will do when they're, they're looking to start up a business. And what was quite heartening was that there was uh, a significant stomach to support the altruistic efforts of my, uh, on my part at that time to find a way that we could enable providers and financial advisors to either enter or re-enter each other's world. And that was the birth of, of Panacea. Uh, I had decided, uh, based on my very early uh, experiences in the industry, that I wanted to kind of replicate some of the, the ethos of the sort of Lloyd's Market, which was founded in a, in a coffee shop, and bring technology to, to, to replicate an awful lot of that. The Lloyd's Coffee Shop was um, uh, a place where seafarers uh, went to in sort of 1600s and, uh, and onwards in, uh, in the centre of London. Uh, it was a classic example of like-minded people gravitating to one place to gain easy access to information and ideas and, you know, the, the limited technology of the day and find out how they could sort of run their lives a little bit smarter and better and so on. Do you think that the providers backed off too much? I mean, it sounds from what you've said, and, and obviously having been on the distribution side, as you alluded to, I've sort of seen this as well, is that providers really backed off from the, the smaller IFA firm. You know, I, I often heard it referred to as the long tail where you'd maybe get one or two cases of business from that particular advisor each year and therefore it doesn't really feel profitable for us to, to support those IFAs. So, so the marketing um, support and the sales support really gets pulled back. The broker consultant gets pulled inside. Maybe there's a telephone service on offer but that's as far as it goes. But what it sounds like you've done with Panacea is almost linked the advisor and the provider back together. I think that, were, that was the case, and, and, and I, I think it's reasonable to assume that, that uh, advisors, and particularly smaller advisors over the years, have, have become a sort of relatively disparate, desperate bunch, and they're, they're under all sorts of pressures, and, and the more that regulation comes to bear down on them, the, the pressures just get greater. I think from a, a provider as, aspect, and you use the term long tail, um, I, I can remember one firm in the very early days uh, uh, segmenting this, this group of advisors under the title of Group 4, which... Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound very promising. <laughs> no, you're not quite sure whether the, the sort of feeling was that they should be taken away in a white van or not. I, I, I really don't know. But the, 
Um, but it was certainly the case from our point of view that when we started doing some work around our fairly small membership in the early days, which started off as around about 100 and with, with eight supporting firms, it's obviously a lot more than that now, sort of sitting around about 18,000 as a community and 40 supporting firms and, and more coming on online. But the, the feeling was that if we were able to uh, find a way uh, of understanding more about the makeup of the community at that time, then support could be perhaps more accurately focused. We went a bit, bearing in mind that we were not a distribution channel at all, which uh, in, the, in very early days, I think some of the firms that we were speaking to kind of thought that we were a network by another name, but that absolutely was not the case and, and no desire to go back into distribution or indeed be, be uh, regulated. But it was suggested that we may want to have a chat with, with Touchstone. Uh, they did uh, some uh, work on our database, and so that was around about sort of 1,200 Unipass uh, certificate registered members and this was I guess probably about four and a half years or so ago now and what came out of that was that if uh, Panacea was to be looked at as a, a network the amount of business that was being produced by these 1200 or so members was double that of Sesame so uh, all of a sudden uh, people looked at uh, the very small community when we look at it now as now having some merit and as that relationship has uh, developed, we know more and more and more about the, the makeup of the community, which enables better support to be delivered to them. And also, uh, it enables uh, the advisors themselves to sort of easily access lots of information, which is generally no more than uh, one or two clicks away. I like the idea that you described alluding to the old Lloyd's coffee shop. That's quite nice. And, and it brings together that whole social feel because obviously what you've done is you've used social media. You've used quite a lot of interaction on the uh, Panacea website to draw people in. So it genuinely does feel like a virtual coffee shop, although with 18,000 members, it's a pretty large virtual virtual coffee shop and you, know, you aren't a network how would you describe yourself are you an, an IFA support mechanism an IFA promotion mechanism is it all about helping IFAs to market themselves what, what's the what's the general thrust of Panacea's business well I suppose all of the above really I, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why we refer to it as a community because the uh, a community is, is made up of all sorts of different components or, or people and uh, I think that's what creates the, uh, the richness so we tend to find that by communicating with the, the advisors a couple of times a week they're brought up to date with communications which are very easy on the eye that they enables advisors to sort of drill down very very quickly to what is of interest to them and it also means because of the data that we have and the way in which we can work with that data that uh, relationships with the provider firms between advisors and providers can be improved greatly because it enables them to be able to pick up the phone to community members where there's been an interest expressed in what it is that they do uh, to carry on the conversation, which ultimately, I suppose, it goes back to the original ethos of the project because there had been this disconnect. So I think if, if advisors could understand that, to even with the changes that RDR has brought, that, that this is, um, I'm trying to think what the right word is, it's symbiotic, where you know, both, both the provider uh, side of things and the, the IFA side are very much dependent upon each other. Uh, if you can find a way of making that sort of dependency more beneficial, then it's a, it's a win for everybody. So really community, I think we would describe it as. 
Going back to the beginning then, what were the challenges that you faced getting this initiative off the ground? Because I can imagine at the start that it was difficult to promote this idea and to draw people in, especially after the providers had backed off to such a great extent. So what were the challenges that you, um, you had and how did you overcome them to make Panacea work? Well, the challenges in the early days uh, are very different challenges to the, the, to the ones that we, we have now. I've often uh, said that, given my age, I'm, I'm 63 now, that if I was, if I was looking to uh, start this today, I probably wouldn't bother because the, it's, it's very tough. And uh, a lot of the exercise over the years in bringing people together has been like herding cats. But the interesting thing is that first of all, sort of someone had to do something like this, and it, uh, and it has been so difficult, and I tend to be one that uh, sort of appreciates a challenge, that there has to be a particular mindset about not uh, taking no for an answer, in that the, the very, very early days, there was uh, the support that we got from the, the sort of core um, uh, provider firms, which when we went to market, was eight of them, um, and if the, all those firms are still training, which some aren't, or certainly the, the, the brand name has changed, then all those firms are still supporting us. But the, the fact is that you can only get so far with an idea and whatever you're doing, the idea needs to be constantly refreshed, updated, you need to respond to sort of trends and demands and, uh, and all that sort of stuff and you need to be able to do it quickly. And then uh, over and above all of that, we need to invest quite a bit within the data side of things to, because the, the data seems to be key for all the firms that we're, we're working with. I think in the post-RDR world and particularly in the post-inducement world, what has been an interesting challenge for, for us has been getting the message over to firms that we're looking to work with, that we are not tainted by any of the previous bad behaviour that sort of sat in the, uh, within the, the, the inducements paper. The inducements thing is quite <laughs> interesting, I, I, but I think a lot of firms are, uh, are actually quite frightened of what's, what we have now. Is that right? What is a big control and constraint for um, providers, I, I think, it, it is the, the, the fear of regulation. Uh, and what is controlling businesses, I think, now is, uh, is compliance. Mm -hmm. And whilst there are all sorts of very sensible reasons as to why compliance mm -hmm should be taken extremely seriously with firm. I think within some organisations that we have had discussions with, it almost creates a paralysis. And I, I don't think that was necessarily what it was meant to do. But as with so many things around financial services regulation, and particularly RDR, it's the unintended and unforeseen consequences that seem the most difficult ones to be able to overcome. It's a shame, isn't it? We do seem to platinum plate everything in the UK, in the financial services industry and elsewhere, and, it, and it's, it's just one of those things, you know, I would never say that compliance and regulation was unnecessary, but what I do see a lot of in the companies that I've worked for is that platinum plating. You almost get an, an, a whole industry of compliance and regulation developing within a provider, and it almost becomes a complete stifling force that stops you from doing anything, even anything sensible, which is a real shame because I think there are a lot of great ideas out there and it would have been such a shame had the idea for Panacea been now and you had been discouraged from doing what you have done and what you've achieved with Panacea if you'd have actually not started that because of the challenges 
put forward by regulation and perhaps by, by that paralysis that you describe. And, and so overcoming the challenges made you a stronger business. What, what's the one big idea that you would like the listeners of the Empath podcast to take away from the experiences that you've had with Panacea? It's interesting. I, I was having a, a, a chat with a, a guy who was supportive of, of what it was that we do in the very early days, and, and I had a catch-up with him about a week or so ago, and he'd just come back from uh, San Francisco at a, a conference there, and uh, he's on the executive of this particular uh, provider firm now, and he was pointing out some of the sort of interesting things that he saw uh, while he was out there. He met up with a guy that's sort of head, uh, is the, the, the founder of LinkedIn, and, 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 he, uh, and also in San Francisco, I've met a good number of sort of uh, entrepreneur types in, in business there. And uh, he said that what, what was very interesting for him was that all these people that had developed these sort of really interesting businesses, um, and particularly where they're web-based businesses, which is what we're, we're doing now, none of them had actually started them with a view to actually making any money, <laughs> um, uh, which I suppose is in many cases the norm, because I'm saying I don't think LinkedIn has sort of made a profit. But all of them started with an idea that was to try and solve a problem that they particularly saw. And, and, and he said it reminded him so much of what, what we had done here at, at, uh, at Panacea. And, and this was really done in the very early days to give me something to do to sort of keep the grey matter sort of ticking over. And, it, and, and it's turned into a business which is turning over far, far more money than you know, I, I was doing when I was an IFA. We don't have the sort of regulatory baggage that attaches to it. We can do something which is genuinely beneficial for everyone involved in, in this. So one of the thoughts on this is that if you, know, if you are starting a business, and I'm sure advisors listening to this will more than understand that, then don't, you know, don't start it with a view to getting rich because the, the chances are, particularly in financial, financial services, that you absolutely won't. I, I think if you're looking at you know, people starting advisor businesses today, it must be so hard. And I, I, I would say for anyone who is even contemplating starting an advisory business from scratch and they have no clients themselves, the bar is so high that it must also almost be a, a sort of suicide really to, to try and do it. And that's a great shame because in, in my day, despite criticisms of the market going back sort of 10, 20, 30 years ago, at least it was possible for someone to start up a business from zero. But if there is anybody out there who is contemplating this and who has the enthusiasm, I'm sure Panacea would be delighted to support them in their entrepreneurial endeavours. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting, someone else was saying to me from a provider firm the other day that they, they were, the one thing that they were quite surprised at is that advisors had come, they come to grips with client segmentation. Uh, that the, the proposition was a completely different matter. And, and I think anyone that's starting up now, they need to embrace technology and they need to really give some thought to the proposition. And uh, as with most things in, in life, the, um, trying to think of the guy's name now that uh, was a sort of famous engineer at the, uh, at the Lockheed Skunk Works, uh, <laughs> came up with his acronym of KISS. Uh, just sort of keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. And I um, think probably the, the best propositions uh, out there 
are always going to be there by keeping it simple. And indeed, that's what, what I did when we, we started Panacea. We tried to keep it simple. You know, this goes back to this sort of feeling it's only sort of one or two clicks away for you to be able to get information all in one place. I think that's my mantra for success in financial services at the moment is uh, don't platinum plate the regulation and keep your proposition simple and, of course, embrace technology. One of the things that we're often criticised in the financial services industry is that we aren't particularly customer-focused. And, and again, what I like about the Panacea approach is that you're providing tools to the advisor members to help them to engage with consumers in a variety of interesting ways. So what do you feel um, you've, you've achieved with Panacea to, to try to push the financial services industry to being more customer-focused? We, we look at our customers as, uh, as being our financial advisors and our provider firms and the, the associated trades that are around that. I guess the difference between us and the financial advisors is, is from the, the advisory point of view, what we do for them is free, but, the, but if, if we look at the overall communities being our customer, then what we're always looking for is something new, something innovative, uh, something that we'll, an advisor will, will look at as us fighting the corner for them and so on. So, you know, uh, it, because that's important too. And, you know, we're not a trade body, but we are actually able to make a noise for advisors in a way that uh, perhaps others can't or are unable to. And, uh, and I think that's probably because of the mass that we have. And thinking about the seven years that you've been in business, Derek, what's worked well and what's not worked so well? Tell us how you've modified your approach as a result of the feedback as you've developed the business model. The only area that we have found difficult to get the traction in developing the site more and more has actually been within the mortgage market. And I, in the very, very early days, we had a, a mortgage area and then, of course, the sort of crash came and sort of meltdown in that marketplace. And really, we couldn't see that sort of going anywhere. So we thought we'll just concentrate on the, the core stuff. Now we kind of threw that and, and the, the mortgage market sort of bounced back. But we thought we'd like to revisit it. And, it, and it's quite interesting that the uh, mindset of mortgage lenders is very, very different to that of the more traditional providers, the asset management companies, the protection offices and, and all this sort of thing. And it's almost like whilst they value or they say they value intermediated distribution, I think the reality is that they are not really focused on that. And I suppose when you look at the mortgage market that we have today and so much of the, the distribution that's being done by lenders needing to sort of come with advice, I think they have lost an opportunity to exploit more the uh, advisor market for mortgage distribution. That's a fault failure for, for us and, and it's a... But it is an issue that we, in this business, if, if I kind of took no for an answer, uh, then we'd we never get, get anywhere, frankly. Seems to be a, another recurring theme that whilst product providers and advisors and asset managers seem to, to relish that sort of community approach that you've developed, the banks often do plough their own furrow, don't they, and, and go off and do what they want. It's an interesting market, really. It really is because an underlying sense of arrogance about it. That, uh, and I'm, I'm not su suggesting that from our point of view we're the, the, the be-all and end-all for establishing and, uh, or re-establishing relationships, but it, it's the arrogance that they kind of have dismissed a community of something like 18,000 as not actually having some element of distribution potential. 
and, and accessing that I find quite amazing because they would rather spend their money on on uh, marketing activities, which from the all the other firms that we're working with marketing these days is actually sort of so much of a focus for all the firms we work with is digital, and yet the the, the mortgage lenders seem to be operating in a sort of different <laughs> continuum of time and space. And moving on, Derek. Now, Planacy has been really successful over the last seven years. What what would you say encapsulates the rewards for all the hard work and the investment of your time? The biggest reward actually is waking up each day and starting work and it's lovely to start a day and know that you'll you'll learn something different many times during the day and and the, the absolute overriding pleasure with all of this is that it's great fun to be creative and that's quite difficult in financial services today it's great fun to be creative when I publish this podcast and when I do the show notes I'm going to put that as a tweetable quote because that <laughs> is that is just great so, so just recapping, Panacea has been around for seven years. What you've created is a virtual coffee shop, a community for IFAs, where they can share sales ideas, advice ideas. You're producing podcasts, you're producing videos, you're producing analysis, you're producing white papers. There's a wealth of material that, that the advisor can download from the Panacea website. They can interact on the forums. It is genuinely... A, a community for the modern financial advisor but hopefully it's something that people will listening to this podcast if they aren't aware of Panacea already they'll want to come along and, and check it out well we hope, hope so but I think it's also important to go back to this thing about community that it is amazing actually from the firms that support us and we couldn't do it without the, the, you know that, that support because that's basically what pays for it all is what they get out of it as well and that, that is the beauty of, of this particular business that this is for many of the firms that are involved with us a most fantastic way of them being able to see what their peers are doing in very real time they can see what works what doesn't work um, and it helps everybody raise their own bar that little bit higher. But I think it would also be fair to say that when I started this, this business, it was just me and, and a few drawings on some paper about how I thought a website might look and, and so on, and that was really from a starting point of uh, being a, a, almost a lud on it. As, as time has gone by, we're not, we're not a big organisation by any stretch of the imagination, but there are others involved in this business now who have brought lots of ideas in, into this, our, our marketing uh, director Sarah Paul has been uh, very creative in terms of some of the developments and ideas and, and, and proposition and she comes from a provider background. Uh, we have James who puts together all our communications and that, uh, and that sort of thing. His background's uh, IT and analytics and stuff so that's also been very, very helpful. And then also a recent addition is John Enos, who a number of advisors listening may well uh, know John. John has got a sort of very long and successful background within financial service distribution with, with sort of major product providers. Uh, he was also involved as the MD of the Hartford when they started up in the UK. So we've got quite a wealth of expertise, which actually, again, has, has helped enrich the, the offering for, for everyone and, and, and make the, the, the church even broader. Derek, thank you for such a fascinating insight into Panacea. Before we go, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to go for that? Uh, for sure, yeah. So, if there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving that proverbial magic wand, what would it be? 
uh, I think that this would have to go back to the uh, KISS acronym, really, about keeping it simple, stupid. And I think re uh, regulation is, is, is the key to this. And if the focus is were very much on advisors, I think the regulator has focused on regulating advisory firms in many ways, in the in the wrong way for the wrong reason, um, and and excessive cost, and so I'd like to see regulation made so much simpler. I think that's quite an interesting one to think about. Instead of saying to somebody, "Have you compliance that brochure?" It should be, "Have you kissed that brochure?" or "Have you kissed that product?" and keep it simple. Well, I know when you were at um, Bright Grey, and I certainly think it was the case with Scott Prom. I can't immediately call it Bright Grey, but um, I think that you you subscribe to the the uh, plain English campaign. Absolutely right. And regulation needs some of that. I hate passive sentences. I hate adjectives. You know, you can make you can make simple copy so much simpler just by removing some of that officious language that we t and complicated jargon filled language that we seem to love in the financial services industry yeah. keep it simple stupid is the mantra that we should live by what's the one business model or product or campaign that's caught your attention in the last year even if it was from a competitor tell us what it was and what you liked about it I can think of one of the, the most successful downloads that we, have, we ever had from a particular provider and, and this was a situation where someone had sent to us a communication to put out to advisors and we just felt that this was just so long and so uh, complicated that uh, it would it just wasn't going to work and as they, they, they got a particular slot book they sent us something else and it was a really really simple communication which enabled advisors to download a client guide to investing and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of downloads from, from this particular thing off the site. It really quite it took us by surprise. But it was just the, the message in it was so simple, going back to KISS. They hit a nerve which demonstrated that there was an appetite for something if it produced, if it was meaningful and relevant to, to advisors. And this was the most fantastic example of it. And in fact... I can remember uh, getting a call at about 7.30 in the evening on my mobile and it was an advisor up in Scotland somewhere that was asking if we could post him a copy. You know, he hadn't quite got the concept of downloading. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a great difference to your life or your business. Um, I think uh, without doubt it is Apple technology. I think from my own business per perspective, I think it would be the, uh, the iPad and the iPhone. Absolutely. I mean, my iPhone and my iPad are almost surgically grafted into my body now. Uh, my wife's always telling me, can't you put that down? I'm always saying, no, it's attached. It's attached. And finally, what's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Well, I've just, just read um, a book and it's called Flash Boys, which is about high-frequency training, which was a very interesting book, and it is certainly well worth a read. But given that he died fairly recently, uh, Felix Dennis, the, uh, the, the publisher who I'm, uh, may well be known to quite a few people, he's sort of quite infamous in the 60s as one of the, the people who was involved in a quite a famous trial or infamous trial called uh, it was the Oz trial, which I guess you probably remember, Roger. Yes. He wrote a book uh, entitled How to Get Rich, and uh, it's a very, very interesting book. And I think one of the uh, more amusing passages on it, which I think was uh, extremely good advice for probably in, in, in lots of aspects of your life going forward, and 
that was, uh, it, he said, if it flies, floats, or fornicates, rent it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, before we sign off, just tell everyone how they can connect with you on Twitter, on LinkedIn, etc., and, of course, how they can find your website and, indeed, how they can join Panacea. Well, uh, very simple. The, the URL for the website is www.panaceaadvisor, with an E-R at the end of it, uh, uh, .com. Uh, and if they want to follow us on, on Twitter or LinkedIn or join our LinkedIn groups, then they can do so. And there's the ability to uh, access all of those straight off our site so they don't need to search too hard for it. I also do a WordPress blog, which um, uh, certainly seems to get some some traction. And uh, basically everything on our site is only one or two clicks away. So if they go to panofcadvisor.com, uh, they'll be able to find uh, all sorts of interesting stuff there. And if they want to sign up to our communications, just uh, register on the site. It is an open site, but you can actually register because there is a closed area on, on there as well. And that will get you access to our uh, bi-weekly bentos. Great stuff. Derek, thank you so much for talking to me today. Let me wish you and Panacea even more success in the future. And I hope to catch up with you again soon because, you know, we're going to have to have a coffee at some stage to talk about that time that you spent with the British Overseas Aircraft Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the days. Absolutely. Thanks, Derek. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at www.rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and the books and the topics we've discussed today. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be really grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit www.rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talk about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions. Okay? Okay.